What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, doing a little bit of an adjustment there, but today we have what is my favorite video to make week in and week out. It is truly a delight. Every single week I bring to you guys on Monday my top 10 lessons learned, observations, takeaways from the games over the weekend. I put everything through a fantasy football lens and we kind of apply it to our next week. So we're going to talk through week six and how we can apply it to week seven of the fantasy football season. With all that being said, if you enjoy, make sure you get down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now, first up, we have... The Atlanta Falcons. We always talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They are always a hot topic in the fantasy football space. And our first takeaway is Kyle Pitts and Drake London both score points, make a wish. Because this doesn't happen often. It's like an 11-11 on the clock. And it was glorious. We had Drake London and Kyle Pitts both turn in top five finishes here. Despite losing this game, the Falcons didn't have the best game of all time. But the fantasy environment was perfect. Like in terms of what we're looking for and what we talked about in the offseason of, yes, this was a run-heavy team, but they were historically run-heavy. I compared this morning their the Falcons' 2023 numbers to their 2022 numbers, and they're still run-heavy right now, but they just aren't historically low. Like if we look at that past times per game number, 24.4 in 2022 for the Falcons, that was like bottom 10 in this century like that was a historically historically low them and the bears last year and even just being league average this year in pass attempts with 34 pass attempts per game is huge that's 10 extra targets i can go to kyle pitts or drake london or Bijan robinson neutral pass rate yes is it is it towards league of bottom right now at 2023 yes but 47.3 percent is a big big jump up from 40.8 percent then you go down the pass rate over expectation, minus 8.2%, still bottom in the NFL, but it's 5% better than it was last year when they were minus 13.2%. Passes per game is up by 10. Seconds per snap, this is the big one as well. They're running up tempo, they're running plays, they're you know, allowing them to actually get into rhythm here, and they have the tied for 13th fastest offense right now. Last year, they were 31st in the NFL in pace. Plays per game, they're tied for the 8th most right now, 66.8. Last year, they were at 26, so we're getting... More plays, higher tempo, more passing, and it's all perfectly beautiful. Now, I will say the game scripts the last few weeks have sort of set up the Falcons to want to pass the ball, right? That pass rate over expectation, the neutral pass rate are very low for how much they're actually passing the ball right now. So game script is factoring into some of it, but also at the same time, it's an environment that's much better than last year. Instead of being dead last and passing and having this awful game environment, they are now, at least, you know, instead of being dead last or like bottom 10, a little bit below average, which is absolutely perfect here because it's so concentrated, right? You have Drake London, you have Kyle Pitts, both commanding a ton of targets. Now, I will say we do have Bijan Robinson having a bad game, but it's tough to advocate for more carries when he had 13 carries for 2.8 yards per carry. Now, we've seen him absolutely ball out. I don't really think that there's anything to be mad at when it comes to Bijan Robinson, right? Again, he just wasn't playing well. So for, to expect them to give him more carries than Tyler Algier, despite Tyler Algier running better, uh, regardless, this is a really good Washington front seven with all the Alabama guys and Chase Young that they have up front. 
it's going to be tough to run on those guys. So I'm not really all that concerned about Bijan Robinson. I think it's another buy low window here of him having two back to back, you know, not up to standard type of weeks here. Now, I will say something to keep an eye on is we're seeing less routes for Kyle Pitts right now, but I'm not all that worried, right? He was at 65% of the routes this week, 64% last week, which is really low compared to where he was at the rest of the season. He was at 80% plus the rest of the season. But what I will say is I think a lot of people would see Kyle Pitts' routes diminishing. By the way, this is the utilization report on Fantasy Life. It's Dwayne McFarlane's tool or brainchild. It's a really, really cool thing uh, over there. Now, you can see it's not even really because of Jonu Smith. That's why I wanted to double check. I wanted to be like, man, is Jonu Smith really eating into the routes here? But he's not. Like Jonu Smith's highest route percentage game was week two with 71%. And that was also Kyle Pitts' highest route percentage game at 92%. So Jonu Smith isn't really the one squeezing him out. My guess, and we talked about it with Tom Christ over the weekend. We always have on Tom Christ. He's a doctor of physical therapy. We, we talk through a bunch of injuries around the NFL. And it seems like Kyle Pitts is still sort of recovering and ramping up from that knee injury he had last season. It wouldn't shock me if they sort of scaled his playing time back ever so slightly to sort of make up for that. Now, I will say they've been running so many plays and having this high-volume offense that that's actually part of the reason where Kyle Pitts – had 34 routes ran on Sunday, you know, despite it being a 65% share, 34 routes was still the third most he's had over the last six games. So because of such a high volume day, the percentages look low, but the amount of routes he still ran were still pretty high compared to what he's done the rest of the season. So my guess is it was more, I wouldn't call it a pitch count, you know, but they don't need him. I mean, 92% of the routes when you're throwing the ball almost 50 times, that's a lot of routes uh, for Kyle Pitts to run there. So not super, super concerned with that moving forward. Now, on the other side of that game, our second takeaway is Eric Bieniemy finally has a mind of his own, but we are getting the Jahan Dotson disappearing act here where I came at Eric Bieniemy last week pretty hard. I don't know if it was on the Top 10 Lessons Learned video, but it was on Twitter. And it just seemed like he was copying what the Chiefs have been doing. And you can't copy the Chiefs offense and their wide receiver rotations when you have Terry McCorn at the top of your wide receiver rotation and you have Marquez Valdez-Scantling at the top of the Chiefs wide receiver rotation. So you can see week five, we have their route percentage and then their target. You can see it's super it's super spread out where Terry McLaurin's only out there for 83% of the routes. Jahan Dotson, 77%. You have Diami Brown, 28%. 15% to Byron Pringle. Jamison Crowder, 13%. It's just too much. It's too spread out. There's no reason for all of that when you have Terry McLaurin up top. And Jahan Dotson is supposed to be good, but it's been a really rough year for him now. It's a good thing in week six that they come out here, they win this game, which is huge, right? Because that sort of confirms what the coach did as a good thing. Maybe that'll stick moving forward. But we can see they go from a six wide receiver rotation to just a five wide receiver rotation here. And they get Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson both to 90% plus. That's actually like, honest honest to God, round of applause for Eric Bianmi. Like That is amazing. That's what we wanted. It worked. They won that game. So W's for everybody. But a huge W for Terry McLaurin, of course. Terry McLaurin, 12 targets, 90% of the 90% plus of the routes. I think it's very clear that they should be playing through Terry McLaurin. I think it's finally clipped for Biennemi here. But my goodness, Jahan Dotson, it's really scary, y'all. Like, it is 100% time to panic. He was somebody that I was drafting. We, we all had high hopes for like a year or two breakout. The preseason target shares were insane. And now we're six weeks in, and we have just one top 24 finish to show for it. I will say, if this usage sticks and we get McLaurin and Dotson at 90% plus of the routes that'll be a good thing moving forward but 
I mean, man, Jahan Dotson's just been an absolute zero all season long. Like he's borderline droppable uh, at this point, and you really do hate to see it. Now, moving on from that, our third takeaway is Kareem Hunt makes the Cleveland backfield, or alrighty then, makes the Cleveland backfield a split backfield. Um, and it's just not, it, it's it's not pretty, man. We, we all sort of rushed to the waiver wire to go get Jerome Ford. And now it's not as sexy. Now, Cream Hunt is going to be an ad this week. We'll probably talk about that in tomorrow's waiver wire video. But yeah, Kareem Hunt just decided to have, I mean, not like a vintage game, but he, he looked good. They both finished as top 24 running backs this week, but it's going to be tough for this offense to generate enough fantasy points for both of them to be great moving forward. But you have Jerome Ford, who went from a 62% of the snaps to 51%. Now, his rush attempt percentage actually went up, but you have Kareem Hunt eating into all the passing down stuff. So Kareem Hunt ate into the routes, he ate into the targets, he ate into the... Uh, long down and distance snaps a little bit here neither of them had two minute drill snaps but it's now almost a clean 50 50 split you saw Jerome Ford at 51 percent and Kareem Hunt at 37 percent I imagine moving forward it'll be almost a an even 50 50 split with Jerome Ford taking on more of the the chub role with Kareem Hunt taking on the Kareem Hunt role from you know their days in Cleveland it's not the end of the world but it does definitely put a damper on Jerome Ford's value where he was probably the RB2 moving forward I would have them both now as RB3s moving forward. A little, I would have them as like a, a tier above kind of what Gus Edwards and Justice Hill represent uh, with the Ravens, but they're both much better players in a more, I was going to say more run-heavy offense, but I would say a, a less QB-dependent offense where Deshaun Watson isn't taking as much of the carries and running back points. Now, other takeaways from this game that I thought uh, stood out to me, first of all, the Cleveland Browns defense is not to be messed with. I mean, like this is just an absurd unit. Uh, they've allowed 1,002 yards this season, the third fewest by a team through its first five games in a season since 1970. The other ones were the 1971 Baltimore Colts and 1970 Vikings. So since 1972, no one has had a better defense through five games. Their EPA per play is out of this world. They are a very scary defense. If you have anybody that's going up against them, they need to be downgraded that week. Running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, they are a scary, scary defense that they have out there. I'll also say uh, on the 49er side of the ball, you had Jordan Mason – now, Elijah Mitchell was coming off of injury, and Christian McCaffrey got hurt. I would be, I think, I'm trying to, I'm sort of trying to find the words here with Jordan Mason. Jordan Mason might have carved out the RB2 role, is what I'm trying to say. He might now be the handcuffed Jordan Mason and not Elijah Mitchell, but it's important to remember that Elijah Mitchell was coming off of injury in this game. So maybe Elijah Mitchell has that goodwill moving forward. Maybe he'll always have that kind of respect to be ahead of Jordan Mason, but this could have been the Jordan Mason coming out party, maybe not coming out party, but, you know, officially RB2 ahead of Elijah Mitchell game. So that's just something to be aware of, especially with McCaffrey, who just left this game early. Uh, it wasn't an oblique injury, so it's not too, too serious. He probably misses a game or two, Christian McCaffrey. So Jordan Mason probably has the upper hand on being the true handcuff after this week. Now, also a random thought, Kareem Hunt was a chief. I'm just trying to tie things in here. Uh, Pacheco, I think, is interesting to touch on as well. He played in the Thursday night game, but we're kind of just roping, you know, adding him into this takeaway. Pacheco's role right now is crazy. I mean, 81.9% of the running back rush share per game, weeks four through six, 9.4% target share is actually pretty solid. 18 PPR points per game. He is looking like a true workhorse in the leagues, you know, in a league, in a top five offense in the NFL looking very good the first three weeks was a little bit more shaky for Pacheco based on this JJ Zacharyson tweet now our fourth takeaway is Brees Hall 
take liftoff again, but even more so this time, right? Like first up, we were talking about it last week. He went absolutely crazy, but that was, you know, 28 PPR points, but still 52% of the snaps. Like he did have 76% of the rush attempts and that was really great. But this week six was perfect, man. And it's so funny, man. Everyone keeps telling me, you know, I'm a Jets homer. I'm this, I'm that. Um, I mean, Brees is just that guy, dude. Brees is just absolutely amazing. I know that this game wasn't like like exactly his best, but he still got you 20 PPR points, and the usage this game is really strong. Where we're going to have so much momentum coming in coming out of the bye week from this game. 68% of the snaps. That's a massive jump from week five. 63% of the rush attempts is actually down from week five, but that's also, I mean, 60% plus of the rush attempts is fine. 60% of the routes is huge. Anything over 60% is elite for running backs. If any of that can stick, that's absolutely massive. 100% of the short down and distance work, 27% of the long down and distance, 40% of the two-minute drill snaps. He's fully eating into Michael Carter's work, right, where you can see Michael Carter was over 30% of the snaps in weeks four and five. Week six, that went down to under 20%. So now Brees Hall is not only taking from Dalvin Cook, right, Dalvin Cook now under 20% of the snaps. He's now taking from Michael Carter as well, which to me signals a complete takeover of this backfield, and that's when we should be excited. Now, this is someone coming off of back-to-back top five finishes. He set season highs in snap percentage, route percentage, tar- target share, short yardage share, long down and distance snaps, two-minute drill snaps, now, again, not a great rushing day, but it was against an Eagles defense that has Jordan Davis, and that's just an absolutely – I'm trying to get my face back in here. That's just an absolutely brutal day to have, right? Jets line's not amazing. They've had a bunch of injuries. You're not going to have a good rushing day against the Eagles, but he had his best receiving game so far, which is huge. Again, receiving breeds upside or breeds upside. Five targets, five catches, 54 receiving yards. That is absolutely massive. That gave him 10.4 points plus the, the touchdown. You're at 16.4 points without even factoring in rushing yards at that point so that's absolutely massive on top of that the reason to be optimistic moving forward is that this is this Jets offense is actually looking like an NFL offense a little bit here where weeks one through three they were really trying to hide Zach Wilson right 32nd in neutral pass rate minus five percent pass rate over expectation 32nd in plays per game weeks four through six so since the Kansas City Chiefs game something has just sort of changed with this offense 14th in neutral pass rate here and 24th in plays per game now of course uh, this i'm not saying that this is a high-flying amazing offense but they are at least you know another thing like the falcons you know they they go from stone worst to you know bottom 15 which is like all you can really ask for from this offense for them to actually play with tempo and pace to actually trust zach wilson to pass the ball because not only does passing the ball help garrett wilson but it frees up you know, the boxes, they're sort of mixing in play action, and they're actually letting Zach Wilson run an offense. And that is very, very good for Garrett Wilson and for Brees Hall. Garrett Wilson also had a great day himself. I want to say he had seven for 90, but something among those lines. Uh, The trust is there. Everything's looking good. Everything's trending up. And on top of that, the cherry on top is the Jets are seeing the other side of what was a gauntlet first six weeks, right? They go against the Cowboys, the Bills. Can't really say the Patriots, but Cowboys, Bills, Chiefs, Eagles. That's an absolute gauntlet of NFL teams right there. Like all, those four teams could make it to the Yeah, those four teams can make it to the the NFC and AFC championships, no one better than I, right? Chiefs versus Bills, uh Eagles versus Cowboys. Now, of course, you have other teams in the mix, but I was just sort of proving a point there. But according to Sumer Sports, which they have uh like ELO ratings for each team and they have their own way of sort of calculating things, Jets had the toughest schedule through the first 6 weeks. They now have the 19th 19th toughest schedule moving forward, which is nice. It's not, you know, the easiest schedule of all time, but it's not going to be 
uh, as difficult as it was before, which means we should get a little bit more positive game scripts, right? These games where the Jets won versus the Eagles, but they didn't have a lead at any point until the last four or five minutes. Now, our fifth takeaway is the world-famous rookie wide receiver report where I go through every single rookie wide receiver and give you an update on how they are doing when we talk about fantasy football. Now, before we get into that, we don't have any sponsors for this one. I don't ask a ton, but, and I'll be honest with you guys, this is actually a really good ratio. I think usually these are more like 70-30, but about half of you guys that are watching these videos aren't subscribed. So if you've gotten to this point, you're watching the rookie wide receiver report, hit the subscribe button. It helps the channel out a ton. We're at a point of the season where the algorithm is just, you know, we are just trickling, trickling, trickling. So if like, if any of you guys out there, you tune in every single week to the rookie wide receiver report, to the top 10 lessons learned shows or whatever, and you're not subscribed, hit the subscribe button. It just helps everything out. It helps us out in the algorithm, helps numbers out, helps optics out, helps us in future negotiations with certain, you know, sponsors and brands out there. It's just a great thing to do for the channel. If you're, if you know, if you love the channel, show some support, subscribe. Um, but Here's the rookie wide receiver report. Now, this time around, I, I, this is just a, a living, breathing Google Doc because I wanted to, or Google Sheet, because I feel like sometimes I just sort of put the screen up and maybe you guys can't really follow what I'm doing. So this is rookie wide receivers with 55 plus routes sorted by PFF grade. Now, for every single one, like first, we're going to start with Rashi Rice, and then we're just going to go one by one and kind of scroll down um, and just talk about the top wide receiver every time. So first up, we're going to talk about Rashi Rice. Uh, passing that percentage is just, you know, what percentage of the passing downs are you out there for? That's what we care about for wide receivers. Targets per route run, how many targets, you know, what percentage of routes are you earning a target on? Anything over 20% is good. Anything over 30% is elite. Yards per route run, how many yards are you getting per route? Anything over two is elite. And then PFF grade, you know, just what are you looking like on tape? Anything over 80 is elite. Now, first up, we have Rashi Rice. He's hitting everything, right? 30% plus uh, PFF grade, or no, not 30% plus PFF grade, but 30% plus target per route run, two plus yards per route run, eight plus PFF grade. All is amazing. All we need is this number right here, man. This number right here. If we can just get this to 80% plus in an offense attached to Mahomes, target per run probably go, dips down to like sub 25%. Yards per run probably hovers around two and PFF grade probably goes to like mid 70s. But that would be an amazing rookie year for Rashi Rice. We just need the opportunity to come. Uh, it could be coming soon. I will say uh, they have Justin Watson out, who's one of their rotational wide receivers. And we just saw with Washington how that can kind of affect things, where if you just go from a six wide receiver rotation to a five, uh, you can kind of really boost up some of those route percentage numbers. So we'll see if that can happen for Rashi Rice. But regardless, amazing, amazing stash. Somebody that I am uh, really believing in moving forward. Like These are really good numbers. And you know, 50% isn't a huge sample, but it's a big enough sample that you can't really just say that these numbers are on a really small sample. Like I think I have... Yeah, I mean, he has 89 routes run. That's not great, but 89 routes run is still a good bit. You know, it's a bunch more than Quentin Johnson, a bunch more than Marvin Mims. It's not that much lower than, like, your Tank Dells and these guys. Um, now, let's actually put that back where it's supposed to be. Now, next up, we have Puka Nakua. Uh, this was his worst game in terms of fantasy. It was the first time he's ever had under uh, 10 PPR points in his career so far. I got to be honest... I don't really care. He was still out there for 100% of the passing snaps. He had a 25% target share, which is just absolutely bonkers. It's tough to really ding him any capacity. I actually did a Dynasty Rankings update this past weekend, and Puka Nakua is my wide receiver 10 in Dynasty, my wide receiver 1 in this rookie class. Like, I begrudgingly did it, but it's tough to argue. 27% target per run, elite. 2.51 yards per run, elite. 80-plus PFF grade, elite. Producing and earning targets next to Cooper Cup, like... 
There's really no more you can say about Pukunakua. I, I really uh, don't be spooked at all about this week. It happens, all right? You're not going to have every week be amazing for a rookie. Now, next up, we have Marvin Mims. The, the the per route numbers are still juicy. 20.7% target per run is fine. Yard per run is great. PFF grade is sort of dwindling a bit. And it's really just because week five, he played the Jets. He kind of got put in the doghouse in this game, and he sort of never recovered. Uh, it's just a little bit tough. Things are cooling off, but he's still somebody I'm stashing, somebody I believe in long term. The only sort of like bright side I can give you guys, because it sucks. Like he had his, his highest usage here. Doghouse hasn't recovered. Um, but I think we can see week seven, week eight, week nine go up uh, if we get a Judy or Sutton trade. And it seems like one of those guys getting traded is imminent here. Uh, but it's tough, man. Like we, Marvin Mims, I think, got outsnapped by Lil Jordan Humphrey this week. Uh, Sean Payton, somebody that I thought would be a sharp head coach, know how to run an offense with all of his time in New Orleans. My goodness, his use of personnel is absolutely puzzling. The amount of third, this is a side ramp, but the amount of third down and distance and, uh, you know, passing down snaps. He has three run. He has three capable running backs. All that can be out there in third down and distance, depending on what you want to do, right? Jaleel McLaughlin can run routes. Samaji Piran and Javante Williams can kind of do whatever you want. And he was opting for fullback Michael Burton on a lot of those. So I think I honestly think Sean Payne's just cooked it, cooked at this point. I mean, what are you going to do? A lot of coaches kind of operate in this way, anyways, where they're not doing uh, optimal things. But I do think. I mean, we say this every week, but better days for Marvin Mims are ahead. Uh, a Judy or Sutton trade would be absolutely huge for them. Tank Dell. Uh, concussion, and then we have Zay Flowers here. Uh, Zay Flowers' passing snap percentage went down, but I'm not all that concerned about it. He had his first touchdown, his first top 12 finish this week, uh, pending Monday Night Football. For me, he's the clear wide receiver two in this rookie class. He's behind Puka Nakua. Again, I'm not really worried about the the snaps dipping slightly. He didn't have he had a 16 yard ADOT last week. He had like a seven or eight yard ADOT, which I think is like a nice happy medium. Like that week one, he was like under a three yard ADOT. You know, the, the week, week five, he was at like a 16-yard dot in London or whatever. Or no, this past week was in London. But in week five, he was uh, like a 16-yard dot guy. And then this week, seven yards, eight yards. And that's probably nice. We probably want him right around the first down mark. Because you don't, Zay Flowers isn't best used as a deep threat at all, right? Like, Chris, Zay, Zay Flowers is not best used like Chris Olave. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good, I, I mean, he's best used as someone like a, Steve Smith, like, I don't know, one of these tinier guys, I don't think you really can say Tyree Kill, but you get what I'm saying, somebody that you're, you you, you scheme touches for, but you also let him go play wide receiver, regardless though, 20% plus target prop run is amazing, uh, 1.79 yards prop run is fine, 72.6 PFF grade is solid, like, I don't want to take away, like, because we have some of these really, really nice numbers up here, these aren't elite, but they're all really, really good, and because he's actually producing, like, Zay Flowers to me, uh, is in kind of a tier between uh, Puka Nakua and like the rest of the wide receivers at this point. Then we have Michael Wilson, who's interesting. Uh, the main downside is that he's not commanding targets, right? 13.3% target per run, but he's kind of Rashid Shahidish, uh, Michael Wilson. But he's I, I, nowhere near as uh, efficient as Rashid Shahid was last year. But as a guy who's working downfield so much so that his yards per run and his efficiency are still good despite not earning a ton of targets. So it's not as big of a deal that his, his target per run is 13.3% when he, his ADOT is 16 yards down the field and every catch he gets is actually a huge gain. And that's why you see his yards per run at 1.83. He's, you know, climbing up his pass snap percentage and everything. Michael Wilson is like, I'm optimistic about him. 70 plus PFF grade. Like he looks kind of like Alec Pierce last year, but I think almost better. Like Michael Wilson almost reminds me of 
early career Nico Collins, if Nico Collins had a good quarterback, like one of those type of guys. Like I wouldn't go too far out of my skis, but or ahead of my skis, but you know, one of these guys that are like downfield playmakers, probably never wide receiver ones in fantasy, but not everybody can be that. Uh, we had Demario Douglas was out with an injury. Then we have Josh Downs. Now Josh Downs had 13.1 PPR points. He had eight targets, but he had just five catches, 21 yards, and a touchdown. The low A dot is a little bit of an issue, but we've seen we've seen games where he has like 16 yards per reception. It's kind of just can the Colts push a defense vertically? They couldn't do it versus the Jaguars, so Josh Downs kind of got relegated to like this Wandale Robinson type of role. But we've seen him before be more vertical, so it's tough to kind of figure out where where Josh Downs is at on like the spectrum of you know your Wandale Robinsons all the way through to your I'm trying to think of like downfield slot guys. Um, but you get what I'm saying in terms of uh, the difference is there. We want slot receivers, but slot receivers that can win everywhere and not just be gadgets or, you know, outlet passes behind the sticks. But Josh Downs still, you know, pretty good. He's still operating 80% plus of the snap percentages. Uh, target prop run, like he's commanding targets. He's not very efficient, but that's an A dot issue. PFF grade is like fine. Like, I, I don't think we've seen enough of Josh Downs really make any judgment calls, but I, I'd say so far he's been doing fine. Uh, you have Jaden Reed on by. Jordan Addison goes all the way up to a 100% snap percentage. The issue right now with Jordan Addison is he's running incredibly hot on touchdowns. So he scored a touchdown this past week. He now has four touchdowns in six games, making him the wide receiver 26 in fantasy points. The issue is he's looking very Jahan Dotson-esque, where if you remember last year, Jahan Dotson was a full-time wide receiver. He was scoring a bunch of touchdowns, but on a per-round basis, he wasn't commanding targets uh, or being efficient. He was just a starting wide receiver catching touchdowns. And that's where we're at with Jordan Addison. And that's what's sort of scary is that he's on this Jahan Dotson trajectory. Now, of course, Jahan Dotson on the Vikings probably produces much more in year two. Like, that's still fine. Like, Jahan Dotson isn't a bust or anything. What I'm trying to say is Jordan Addison, when a wide receiver comes into the NFL, you know, they have all the ceiling in the world, right? Jordan Addison could be the next Calvin Ridley, the next Stephon Diggs is one of these sort of route-running savants. Uh, but right now, he's more on his Jahan Dotson, uh, Jerry Judy type of trajectory right now of just like these decent route runners without ever like a true wide receiver one type of ceiling that's where he's looking right now I'm not saying that that's the fate he's doomed to through six weeks but I'm just saying that's where he's trending so we're gonna need to see something pick up here you know the PFF grade isn't great yards power run isn't great target power run isn't great uh so Jordan Addison I'd like to see more um moving forward and if you put a gun to my head like I, I would lean sell in like all formats right now but again he does now have the opportunity. He was also in a weird game script versus the Bears with a backup quarterback. So maybe he couldn't fully, you know, it wasn't a passing game environment that really lended itself to anybody. Like KJ Osborne didn't really get home either. So I'm not I'm not writing off Jordan Addison. I'm just saying so far we need much more than this if Jordan Addison's ever going to be like a top 12 wide receiver in any capacity. Uh, moving on, Dontavion Wicks was on by. Trey Palmer and Tyler Scott can be in, ignored. Jalen Hyatt. I would say that this was Jalen Hyatt's best game as a pro so far. He plays 80% of the passing snaps. That's absolutely huge. Let me make my face bigger here. Why not? Now, per route stuff, PFF grade, all bad. All bad. It's 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 really tough. But this week, I mean, he had his most snaps yet. Uh, if you were watching the game on that final drive where Tyrod Taylor, you know, of course, everyone saw the Darren Waller. Like, was it a hold or pass interference, whatever? Uh, the first down, it might have been fourth down or third down, and they're trying to like keep the clock moving. Jalen Hyatt makes this catch across the middle and gets popped, and he holds on to him, like a really crucial moment. I know we're kind of putting our hand in the dirt here, but I imagine a guy like Dable 
is going to remember that, right? So he made a huge play there. And then there was this one play where he he's down the field. It's like a huge gain. Uh, he makes a catch. He drags the toe out of bounds. Like it was a really, really good play. Uh, but it got called back for, I believe, a legal man downfield. So two big plays for Jalen Hyatt. He's clearly earning trust 80% of the snaps. We just need something in the efficiency and PFF grade department. But at least things are trending up for Jalen Hyatt. I don't really think that he's a grab yet. Actually, he's probably trend, trending towards waiver wire pickup, but he he's not completely dead uh, at this point. Quentin Johnston, Monday Night Football. Tyler Scott, again, no re- real reason to talk about him. John Mingo, you know, he's all the way running up to 95% of the passing snaps, but target part run is probably fine. He's not efficient. He hasn't looked good. But it's tough to be efficient or look good with a rookie quarterback, never mind a rookie quarterback where Adam Thielen is just a vacuum of fantasy production he is squeezing everything he can possibly get out of that rookie quarterback there's not much left over but I'm still optimistic on John Mingo I wouldn't really write him off if he doesn't have an efficient year so far he's at least on the field playing uh which is good then you have Jack Smith and Jigba I I wrote this on Twitter the JSN thing is really interesting he we have good news and bad news here right so he plays 81% of the passing snaps that is a season high he played his highest percentage of passing snaps this week. He had his highest average of the target yet at 7.4. We've been complaining about the Kadarius Tony usage. They're finally letting him work downfield a little bit more. He also had his best PFF receiving grade of the year, 69.1, which got him from a 50 to a 55.8. He also had his best PPR point game of the year. The issue is that his best PPR point game came in week six, and it was just 8.8 PPR points, five targets, four catches, 48 yards. So there's some positives to gain here, right? The role's a little bit better. He's getting more playing time. He's commanding targets, as you can see here. He's just not efficient at all. Now, I will say this Bengals-Seahawks game was a very low-scoring game. I want to say neither team got to like 20 or more points. Uh, none of the Seahawks wide receivers really got home either. I think it was really just Lockett who had a good day, but I could be misremembering. I think better days are ahead, but like, I'm spooked. I'm definitely spooked on Jack Smith and the Jig, but he is not. I, so far. I could look really dumb and he could have the Amon Ross St. Brown breakout. And I still believe that I'm still holding him on all of my teams. Um, I actually put a, I, I had a high stakes league where he was dropped and I, and I made like a 40% bid and won it. Um, so we're still believing in what that second half of the season can be, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. If, if week 10 comes around and week 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and that second half breakout doesn't come and we come up empty handed. Like we're talking about a guy who gets relegated to like, wide receiver 40s in dynasty like it gets really tough man um again i i believe in the talent i believe in what it can be down the line but the trajectory we're on right now uh is very scary for a guy who is valued as like a top 15 dynasty wide receiver and like a top you know seven round draft pick in redraft and i was drafting him in both places it's just uh, i don't know i think part of its talent i think part of it is being used schematically incorrectly but it's tough to say exactly uh what's going wrong now speaking of brian dable uh, and his usage of Jalen Hyatt, uh, he actually sort of, you know, he, he let the kids play this week. Where you can see Jalen Hyatt had his most routes and his most targets, 13% target share, 80% of the routes. And then Wandale Robinson as well. He uh, The takeaway I have here is that Brian Dable let the kids play at the grown-up table. Um, and that's true, where you have Wandale Robinson as well, 73% of the routes, 26% of the targets. So that's really good. Wandale Robinson will be is that like a low-end wide receiver three rest of the season? That should probably be picked up everywhere. Um, and then on top of that, you had Saquon Barkley back in his first game. 28 opportunities. 
he's good to go. Uh, tough defense against Buffalo, but I think better days will be ahead for him. The volume there was very telling that he's pretty much 100% at this point. Uh, and then we also have in that game on the other side of it, the Bills side, Damian Harris goes down, brutal, brutal looking injury. Um, they bring out, like bring out, like I think Demar Hamlin was on the back of the ambulance cars, whatever. Um, but instead of James Cook kind of absorbing the Damian Harris role, we had Latavius Murray absorb it, which is really tough. That's really tough for the James Cook uh, believers, where nothing really flinched. Right, fifty-two percent of the rush attempts are about what he's had recently. His routes actually went down from week five to forty-seven percent. He had not a single target in this game. Short down and distance snaps, forty percent went to Latavius Murray. Inside the five, Latavius Murray took that one. Long down and distance, Latavius Murray is that guy, which is really concerning. Where James Cook is supposed to be this third down back, receiving back, and Latavius Murray is favored in those spots. Two-minute drill, uh, James Cook had 0%, but so did Latavius Murray. There was no two-minute drill in this game. So it's just tough, man. I mean, in a game where Damian Harris goes out and you think, okay, it's wheels up for James Cook, it's just a clean 50-50 split. So moving forward, it's tough to trust James Cook. This is supposed to be a smash spot where everyone had him as like a top 15 play this week, and he gives you seven PPR points. So it's tough, man. It's tough. We're talking, you know, back-end fringy RB2 moving forward that it's kind of tough to trust at this point. Now, our seventh takeaway here is the Damian Pierce bell cow dream has never been more over. Like it is just, I mean, my goodness, my goodness. I mean, 59% of the snaps, he had a season high, 87% of the rush attempts last week in week five. And then it all comes crashing down 35% of the snaps, 43% of the rush attempts, just not good. 0% of the targets. It's just, it's all bad. It's all bad. And I think some of it was that he was just really ineffective in this game. But we were thinking maybe at some point this could be a takeover. Damian Pierce could just take over the entire thing. That's that's all gone. That's all gone. I, I, I do think moving forward, I, I, of course, don't think that Devin Singletary is going to be the leading rusher in this backfield. But Damian Pierce is just going to be between the tackles grinder on an offense that is good but not great. So it's just tough. He's kind of like – Damian Pierce is just kind of like Brian Robinson Jr., which I think is fine. But, you know, just back-end RB2 uh, without, like – you know, that top five, top 12 league, you know, league winning, league domination type of upside. Now, this is an exciting one as well. We, uh, I was a big fan of Michael Mayer in redraft this year. And I had some teams with some buddies where, you know, me and Jacob Sanderson have a ton of teams. Uh, and I think we might have dropped Michael Mayer in our tight end premium league because th through four weeks, they just weren't using him, right? You can see 30% of the routes for a tight end. You want like 70% plus. That's where you get into like juicy territory. And Michael Mayer, these last three weeks, you can see it's kind of been a, a passing by of two ships here. As Michael Car as Michael Mayer sort of goes up in snaps, you have Austin Hooper sort of coming down in snaps here. Uh, that led to a week six takeover of, you know, 67% of the routes, 27% target per out run is amazing. Uh, and his ADOT's a lot juicier than Austin Hooper's, which I thought was very interesting. Where Hooper, uh, four-yard ADOT, 1.5, 2.5. We have Mayer working downfield uh, with an 8.33 ADOT, with an 8.5 ADOT. Uh, and that's really fun. Now, did I write anything down? No, I didn't. But Michael Mayer, like, I think that he caught a, a, a good chunk of passes here as well. Like, I think he might have had a usable week. Yeah, I mean, 12.5 PPR points here, six targets, five catches, 75 yards. I mean, he's not going to be Sam Laporta. Uh, and you're definitely going to have to watch for, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo and his injury. But it seems like Jimmy Garoppolo's injury wasn't all that terrible. Uh, he gets the Bears next week, which is a really soft matchup. So Michael Mayer is a priority add on waivers with the upside to be, you know, Sam Laporta light. So look out for that. 
Jimmy G to Michael Mayer can kind of be like a dollar store version of Jared Goff to Samuel Porter. So if Jimmy Garoppolo is good to go, then this will be interesting. I know that there's a lot of targets to go around with Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams, but McDaniels has shown that he's very good at kind of condensing these things to just the players that actually matter. Uh, so I think that he can kind of get Mayer in that mix. Now, our ninth takeaway here. Yeah, Michael Mayer breakout season was our eighth takeaway. Our ninth takeaway is the Jamison Williams progress report. Now, I don't know that we'll do this every single week, but um, he's definitely a hot topic. Somebody that I drafted a ton of, uh, and he had a huge bomb against the Bucks. Goff airs it out. Jamison Williams is like this 360 tracking the ball. Uh, you film experts can kind of let me know if I imagine he kind of screwed that up. Right, like I don't know that there's ever a time where you should be doing a 360, but he catches the ball. It's a huge touchdown. It's a big play, and then I checked his utilization, and God damn it, man! Top 24 finish, which is great, but he goes from a 50% route participation to a 19%. So we're trending down. Now I think that can come up, right? He kind of, I imagine, he sort of has now played himself more routes and everything like that, but. You can't start him if he's not at like 70% plus of the routes, 80% plus. If he can get to 80% plus, I truly in my heart of hearts think that he can have, you know, I think that he can be a poor man's Will Fuller, which is really exciting for fantasy football. But man, I don't know that he ever even clears 50%. They're so conservative with him. They like him in just certain situations. I don't know. I, I, I wish I had more concrete uh, takes for this, but it's going to be an uphill climb. If, if he can ever cement himself as a true number two wide receiver on this team and get to like 65, 75, 80% of the routes, we can see these start to climb. And I think they will. Maybe they get a bye week and they come out of the bye week. But Jamison Williams is kind of like a rookie right now. Like I, I would treat Jamison Williams very similar to your Rashi Rices and your Marvin Mims and these rookie wide receivers you're stashing for now. Jamison Williams is a stash. You can't put him in your lineup, but we're just going to keep tabs on these routes every week. And if they can kind of climb here, then it's time to get exciting now or excited. And then our last takeaway, our 10th takeaway is backfield updates. This is kind of a boring one, but backfield updates on Indiana, the Indianapolis Colts and the Arizona Cardinals. First of all, we have Indianapolis. Of course, everyone cares about this because of Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor goes from, I believe what, what was he at? 16% of the snaps last week he goes up to 43%. So that's great. Uh, it's almost like a clean 50-50 split, you know, Moss 49%, JT 43%, JT edges him out in rush attempts, Zach Moss ran more routes, they both had above a 10% target share, you can see short yard situations, they about split, long down and distance, they about split, two minute drill stuff, seemed like it was a, uh, I mean, 100% to JT in week 5, 38% to JT in week 6, so it's really a very even split here. I didn't catch much of the Colts game because they were just getting killed by the Jaguars, but I think, like, it almost seems to me like maybe they were switching drives or, you know, it, it, it didn't seem like a situational usage uh, is what I'm trying to say. But regardless, they both finished top 24 in fantasy this week. Moss got a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor did his thing. It was a tough defense in the Jaguars, but I will say uh, they get Cleveland next week. Who we just talked about that's a tough matchup. The Saints defense is a tough matchup, but then it becomes much, much easier where they're playing against, like, Carolina. So I think the next two weeks are going to be a little bit rough. Uh, you're going to still have Zach Moss and JT as like these borderline RB2 types. Jonathan Taylor is probably going to continue draining touches from Zach Moss. And then once you get to Carolina, and I believe that's going to be week nine, then it's going to be wheels all the way up for Jonathan Taylor. Now, Arizona is much less optimistic here. This is pretty brutal. We got a surprise cameo from Damian Williams. I mean, my goodness, Damian Williams. He sits out for COVID, never really hear from him again. And then he comes in here. And he gets nine opportunities in this game. You have three opportunities for DeMarcado, 12 opportunities for Keontae Ingram, nine opportunities for Damian Williams. It's a three-headed backfield, 
and it is ugly, ugly, ugly. We have DiMarcado uh, running the most of the routes, but you know he's doing long down and distance, two-minute drill. He's running the most routes, but then he also has a 3% target share. So DiMarcado is not startable. Keontae Ingram would be exciting if Damian Williams didn't steal eight carries from him for a 30% rush attempt share. If Damian Williams and Keontae Ingram just merged into one dude, Keontae Ingram would have been a massive, massive W this week. So it's tough to really have much optimism moving forward. I don't think any of these guys are really going to be startable in James Conner's absence. The only one that I have much faith in at all would be Keontae Ingram. Again, he led the team in opportunities. He's the bigger back. He probably gets the goal line attempts. But man, if Damian Williams is going to split rush attempts with Keontae Ingram, then it's tough because then you have DeMarcado, who's strictly a satellite back, and you have Keontae Ingram and Damian Williams going 50-50 on the between the tackles stuff. So pretty brutal. Maybe we get some more clarity moving forward, but I don't think you can really start any of the three with any sort of confidence heading into week seven. Dude, I, these weeks are, are meshing together. I got my Jets bucket hat here. Let's go Jets, man. J-E-T-S. You see it on the dome piece. Regardless, if you made it this far, then you deserve to see this on my dome piece. Um, I do appreciate all you guys who watch these videos. You guys are the best. Again, make sure you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed, man, and you watch all these videos, you hurt my heart, man. It just, like, come on, man. If you're tuning into the videos, you're coming out here week in and week out. You owe it to yourself. Not just me. You owe it to yourself, your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. Make sure you're... (laughs) Make sure you're subscribed to Ron Stewart, the Ron Stewart channel. Um, we post every day. I'm going to have a waiver wire video out for you guys tomorrow. Hope that you guys enjoyed that video. This is, again, like my favorite one to do. Top 10 lessons learned. It's very fun to sit down, kind of look through, find the interesting stats that you guys might care about. So with all that being said, if you enjoyed, make sure you down below, subscribe, leave a like, and I will see y'all in the next one.